You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, I watched, you can stop blowing up my DMs now, I watched it. I'm not talking about the January 6th committee hearing last week, although I did watch that too. I was actually the first to tweet, hey, about the hot dude over the left shoulder of the former White House official giving testimony, and I was the first to call for someone to put gackety sacks over the video clip of Republican Senator Josh Hawley running from the mob he'd incited a few hours earlier. Holly had a raised fist for the mob before they broke through police lines and a full diaper after. No, I watched at the urging of my listeners who've been DMing me on Twitter and Instagram all last week. I watched the new Netflix reality show, How to Build a Sex Room. Melanie Rose, the host, the designer, was a high-end interior decorator, according to Melanie Rose, before she began designing sex rooms exclusively. High-end, swank, luxurious sex rooms. We get a glimpse of Rose's portfolio, her pre-sex room portfolio at the top of the show and kind of looked to me like most of her clients pre-sex room were Russian mistresses. Now, I only watched one episode, the first episode. I'm sorry to say I wasn't impressed. Rose designs a sex room for a straight married couple in Denver, Taylor and AJ. And during her conversations with them, it comes out that there's just really three things they want out of their sex room. The first thing they want is for their sex room to be a sexy secret, which is why they've already built a hidden door that leads to the space where their sex room is going to be. They don't want anyone to know about their sex room, anyone other than Rose and the 220 million people who subscribe to Netflix. And then there's what they want to do in their very, very top secret sex room, which is anal. Some like bondage, but mostly anal. Taylor loves anal loves getting her ass fucked, and they've been experimenting with butt plugs, putting them in AJ. AJ likes them, which, along with the location of their sex room, may have been something AJ wanted to keep secret based on his reaction to Taylor blurting out that AJ likes butt plugs. All right, spoiler alert. If you're planning to watch the episode, I'm going to give away the sex room now. This is the big reveal. Rose sends AJ and Taylor away and creates for them an all-white sex room, a white leather couch with a white fake fur throw, white walls, white shag carpeting for a room where her clients basically just want to have anal. Now, I've been in a few sex rooms myself in a few dungeons, and you know what you typically don't see much of in sex rooms? White upholstery. Now, you don't need a mud room for anal. Anal isn't always messy. If you're good at it, it's rarely messy. No Santorum. But accidents do occasionally happen. A white leather couch with a white fake fur throw in a room with white walls and white shag carpeting? God will not be mocked. And dry cleaners are not magicians. How to Build a Sex Room has the same bright tone of all the other home makeover shows, but instead of going to a high-end restaurant for a cooking class, like a couple having their kitchen remodeled on an HGTV show might do, the couple on How to Build a Sex Room 
goes to a kink education class where they watch a flogging demo in a public dungeon. The whole thing is cringe. And I couldn't help but thinking watching it that it's just another example of how everyone who's worked so hard to destigmatize kink over the last 30 years might want to get busy re-stigmatizing kink just a little bit, especially after seeing this show. I got to say the kink educators doing the flogging demo for the wide-eyed couple getting their sex room built. Maybe I'm seeing something that wasn't there, but it sure looked like I was seeing two kink educators who've been doing the hard work of destigmatizing kink for many years, realizing in real time in front of the cameras that maybe they worked a little too hard. Because if this is what we get for all that hard work, bondage furniture unboxed and set out on the lawn in front of a suburban home and an impromptu impact play demo in front of the neighbors, the people Taylor and AJ probably wanted to keep their sex room secret from most, maybe we went a little too far. Should have destigmatized kink 50%, 75%, but not destigmatized it 100% to the point where you're now seeing shows like How to Build a Sex Room on Netflix. Something else I saw this week I wish I could unsee Matt Gates, Republican congressman from Florida who spoke at a giant Republican asshole palooza this weekend, where he had this to say about abortion rights protesters. Have you watched these pro-abortion, pro-murder rallies? The people are just disgusting. Like, why is it that the women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions? Nobody wants to impregnate you if you look like a thumb. Why isn't this guy in prison? Not for being an asshole, being an asshole and being a sexist piece of repulsive shit. That's not against the law. I'm talking about the minor that Matt Gates is very credibly alleged to have fucked. A congressman from Florida, a Trump supporter and an insurrectionist has been under investigation by the feds since at least May of 2021, which is when the New York Times broke the story. He's alleged to have had sex with a 17-year-old girl, sex he's alleged to have paid for. He's also alleged to have transported that 17-year-old girl across state lines for paid sex. Three federal crimes. Oh, and he's obstructed justice as well. Done what he could to block the investigation into his alleged crime. So obstruction of justice, also a federal crime. That's four federal crimes that we know about. There might be more because the investigation is ongoing. As we read in the news every other month or so, Gates's former partner in crime is cooperating with the feds, a former girlfriend turned over evidence, testified before a grand jury, and still there he is speaking in front of a room filled with the deranged right-wing fascists who've been trying to whip up a moral panic about out gay people grooming children just by being out gay people. Out and gay, out and lesbian, bi, trans, you're a groomer. Flying a high school junior across the country to fuck her? Apparently you're a right-wing hero. The investigation into Gates began under former Attorney General Bill Barr. We found out about it in early 2021. It might have begun in 2020. What the fuck is going on at the Justice Department? Between Trump's crimes and this guy's crimes? Alleged, alleged, alleged. And and, and I'm sorry, I'm going to take the bait here. Who's disgusting? We've seen video of Trump rallies. We all watched the insurrection live on TV. 
If there was a conventional beauty standard beauty pageant, I'm pretty sure a woman randomly selected from the crowd at the 2017 Women's March on Washington, D.C. would take the crown over the best looking by conventional standards of beauty lady at the January 6th insurrection. As for the guys, I like clean cut guys. And when I was in college, conservative guys were far less likely to have dreads, soul patches, scraggly beards, Peruvian drawstring pants. And while I didn't knowingly fuck with Republicans then and don't now, sometimes I didn't ask. To this day, I prefer to do filthy things with guys that don't look filthy. And the guys at Trump rallies, yeah, they're not clean cut, scraggly to the point of feral. They look filthy and not in a good way. Give me that Clark Kent, that 23-year-old hottie over the shoulder of the witness at the last January 6th committee hearing. I like that tension. And if I'm going to mess up my white shag carpets in my sex room with anybody, I want it to be with somebody hot. All right, coming up on the micro, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and on the Magnum Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savage.love. More cues, more A's, no ads. Dr. Jen Gunter returns. She's the best-selling author of The Vagina Bible. She's back with some post-Dobbs advice for women who need abortions and women who are so worried they might need abortions that they can't enjoy sex. Two quick programming notes. On Thursday, we'll have a new Sex and Politics, a bonus podcast from our Magnum subscribers with New York Times opinion columnist Michelle Goldberg. We will also be releasing on Wednesday a special extra show that we're making available for all of our listeners, Micro and Magnum. Dr. Carlton Thomas took a couple of questions from my listeners. We talk about what gay and bi men need to know right now to protect themselves from monkeypox, and I wanted everyone to be able to hear it, not just Magnum subs. So we're making that available to everyone. Also available to everyone, my sex advice column at savage.love slash savage love, where I give advice this week to a woman who can't tell if her boyfriend is inconsiderate because he's young or inconsiderate because he's an asshole. Head to my website, savage.love for a new savage love every Tuesday. This episode of the Savage Love Cast is brought to you by Foria. Foria crafts 100% all-natural sexual wellness products so you can experience deeper intimacy and transcendent moments of sexual pleasure solo or with your partner or partners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting foriawellness.com slash savage. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash savage. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. Get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Sakara, makers of life-transforming plant-rich super meals delivered to your door ready to eat. Get 20% off your first order when you go to sakara.com slash savage or enter code savage at checkout. Hi, Dan. I'm a woman in my 20s, and I have a gorgeous, gorgeous boyfriend. And whenever we go out, um, he gets flirted with a lot by other women. And at first, that kind of turned me on because I, I'm a longtime listener, and I, I've heard you talk about how sometimes knowing that your partner's been out all day, that you know they, they might have been flirted with, it can be a turn on. It can kind of rile you up a little bit as opposed to, you know, the opposite effect of, you know, you being jealous and then being out and, you know, being flirted with, you know, kind of is a turn on. And at, at the beginning, it was a turn on for me parading around my gorgeous boyfriend, you know, and having women flirt with him in front of me. I didn't mind it 
until one woman got kind of nasty one time. We were at a party and she didn't say, she said hi to him, gave him a big hug and then kind of like snarled at me and then kind of just kept like cozying up to him. He didn't notice that, of course. Obviously, if he had, he wouldn't have continued, you know, talking to her. So that kind of just like from that point on, I get upset when he gets flirted with in public and that is not his fault that he is gorgeous. I know you talk all the time about being married to Terry and how the hot boyfriend syndrome, hot husband syndrome of, you know, they're going to be flirted with. And my question is, how do you turn the jealousy into a turn on in my head? Because it used to be, and now ever since that one negative experience, I feel like every woman that comes up to him is going to flirt with him. And that may as well be the case because he is gorgeous. And I know he wouldn't do anything. I just need to turn my mindset around. How would you go about turning that mindset around? How do you deal with going out with Terry and, you know, let's say he gets flirted with and you don't, because that happens to me. What would you do? I hate it when people say, oh, my boyfriend, he's so gorgeous. Prove it. Prove it. I want to see some pictures. I want to DM with your boyfriend's Instagram account handle. My boyfriend is gorgeous. I just can't take your word for that. As for what to do, look, you had one negative experience. I hope you never have food poisoning and then swear off food forever. You had one negative experience with someone being, with someone actually being, not kind of being a dick to you, trying to carve you off your boyfriend so that she could have him all to herself. Don't let that one asshole ruin for you what had been a fun and sexy positive sort of relationship with your boyfriend's attractiveness, just like you wouldn't let one bad bowl of gumbo ruin all food or Cajun food for you forever. If you got food poisoning from a bad oyster that said, you know, you ask like how it works with me and Terry. Yeah. Like Terry's a lot hotter than I am objectively. And we would be out in bars and of course guys would instantly be more into him than into me. And the way we kind of managed that was talking about, well, what's in it for me? You know, if Terry picked some guy up and we had a three way, there was something definitely in that for me. Also, you know, Terry's a good looker and I am a good talker. That's why I have this podcast. And sometimes people who are into Terry from the jump, just from the way he looked, would kind of get into me the more we got to talk with each other. A few of those guys wound up being more into me, which then Terry had to handle and deal with. So specifically about your situation, you need to talk with your boyfriend about, you know, you don't want to turn into one of those people with a hot partner that you can't be out in public with because you're going to have a meltdown or a jealous fit and punish not the person flirting with your partner because they're not going home with your partner. Your partner's never going to see that person again. You're never going to see that person again. You're going to punish your partner by having these meltdowns or freakouts. So you go to your boyfriend and talk to him and say, look, let's make sure there's something in this for me that's sexy when somebody flirts with you. What would that be? I can't tell you and your boyfriend what's sexy for you and your boyfriend, and I can't tell you what's sexy for you, but what could you build into that when it happens that would be sexy for you? Would it be, you know, he obviously comes over and starts flirting with you or macking on you when someone's been flirting with him and that person sees that you're the woman he's taken home? Or, you know, if he flirts with some woman in a bar in front of you, then that night he's going to eat your pussy and he's going to make you come three times and that's what's in it for you. What could possibly be in that for you? You want to kind of 
gamify this situation so that you're as excited again to see him being flirted with by somebody else as you used to be. And I'm confident that you and your hot boyfriend, right after you send me proof that your boyfriend is as hot as you say that he is, can get there. Hey, Dan. I'm calling because yesterday I was watching some porn and I was looking for videos of men getting jerked off and watching some like happy ending massage parlor videos. And I came across a video with a man laying on a massage table and it was clearly not the like real deal happy ending. This was like a staged thing with his partner. However, (laughs) the guy laying on the table looked exactly like my (laughs) ex-husband. We were together for seven years. We were married for six. We have not been together now for six years and we're on really good terms. Everything ended friendly, amicably, and we're friendly now, but we don't have an ongoing conversation or text exchange. Like we text each other on holidays, um, but we don't live in the same city, so we never run into each other. So when I reach out to him, it's kind of out of left field or it's slightly awkward. You know, there's usually like, oh, something reminded me of you. Just wanted to say, hey, I'm wondering if I should ask him if it's him. So I went to like the user's profile and there's multiple videos of the same kind of interaction. My ex has two small tattoos on his right arm. And in the video, this guy is conveniently hiding his right arm, but you can see his left. He uses his left hand to grope his partner and it doesn't show his face. I don't know what his partner looks like, so I don't know if that's her. I'm so torn and I would love to hear your thoughts on this. I am just excited for him. Like the other part is that this is very different from anything we ever did together. It just feels like what are the odds that I happened upon a video, multiple videos of him on Pornhub, but it's possible, right? Should I reach out? I really want to. Here's a little trip down memory lane. I think I was about 15, maybe 16, and I snuck into a dirty bookstore on Rush Street in Chicago. And I was looking at the magazines. And when you're a closeted gay kid sneaking into dirty bookstores in Chicago uh, in the 80s, you didn't make a beeline for the gay stuff. You kind of lingered over the straight stuff on your way to the gay stuff once you determined that none of your many, 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 many uncles happened to be in the dirty bookstore at that moment or any of your peers, classmates. So I was lingering by the... uh, straight stuff. And there was a pregnancy fetish section and I saw a magazine and there was a woman on the cover of the magazine, pregnant, naked, and she lived on my block and I had babysat, babysit, (laughs) I was a sitter for a kid. And I saw her and I was, I wasn't thrilled or excited the same way that you're kind of thrilled and excited to have found who is probably your husband in these jack off videos on Pornhub, I was a little, I guess, alarmed and sad. This was pre, you know, right on feminist porn and self-actualization. If somebody landed on the cover of a porn magazine, it usually meant that they were struggling 
or being exploited somehow. Even I knew that even then. But I also knew not to go to her and say, hey, did I see you on the cover of a pregnancy porn mag? You were pregnant like four months ago. Now you have two kids. Was that you? And I knew for sure it was her. But I knew enough at 15 not to say one goddamned word to her, even an affirming sex positive word to her. Hey, I'm in a dirty bookstore. I'm consuming porn. No shade. No judgment. Hey, you're on the... No, no. I just like kept my fucking 15-year-old mouth shut, which is what you need to do with your however old it is mouth right now. There is no reason to call your ex-husband up and have a chat and say, oh, by the way, I came across, I love it when people use the expression I came across because if it's a penis having person who uses that expression, you can literally come across porn with your ex in it. There's just no way to fold that into conversation that isn't going to make it weird. And if he's hiding his right arm with his tattoos that would identify him to people who know him casually or people who know him like you once did intimately. Well, he obviously doesn't want to necessarily be recognized particularly by his ex-wife. So you have a window into the person that your ex-husband is now. You can be happy for him. If you missed that dick, you can masturbate. You can come across his videos whenever you want, but be at least as emotionally intelligent as closeted 15-year-old me was and keep your fucking mouth shut. Having a healthy sex life is a part of everyday wellness. Unfortunately, most of the sex products out there are made with nasty chemicals that end up in your body. The folks at Foria are on a mission to change that. With 100% plant-based and organic formulas, their best-selling intimacy collection has been changing lives in the bedroom and beyond since 2014. Foria is the first brand to address the sexual needs of women across all ages, from enhancing pleasure and access to orgasm to alleviating painful sex, menstruation cramps, and other issues that can impact your sex life. Their plant-based and organic intimacy collection includes a multi-botanical arousal oil, CBD lubricant, Foria's Awaken Arousal Oil, and Pleasure Enhancing Suppositories. That's right, CBD up your coochie or up your butt, and it will help. With a cult following and thousands of reviews, seriously, people really rave about these products. Awaken was specially formulated with nine botanical extracts working with the body to take pleasure to the next level, enhance arousal and access to orgasm, and make great sex even better. It can ease discomfort and soothe tension during sex. And for penetration lovers, Foria's Intimacy Suppositories are a game-changing product that can be used vaginally or rectally to support relaxation and blood flow so you can go deeper and longer. I love that there are no fragrances, additives, or synthetics. These are gentle products. If you are already into CBD, and I know plenty of people that swear by it for relaxation and reduction of anxiety, this is an easy choice. If you're considering trying CBD or you're already using other forms of CBD, why not try CBD in the context of sex? Foria is offering a special offer for Lovecast listeners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting foriawellness.com savage. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com savage for 20% off your first order. Hi, Dan. I'm a 36-year-old woman calling from Saskatchewan with a little pickle. Uh, about a year ago, I started dating a guy 
and he's wonderful. We're totally in love, and I'm really, really happy in this relationship. He has a six-year-old son who I adore and who I just love and love spending time with. The thing is, I never really wanted kids until I kind of hit my mid-30s, and when I met him and he had a child, I went, great, I can help to raise his son and watch him grow up, and I love doing that, and I'm so thrilled. My partner's made it pretty clear that he doesn't want to have any more children for various reasons, and I really respect that. But lately, I've been feeling like I want to have a baby, and I don't really know what to do because if I stay in this relationship, which I want to, I'm completely still after a year. Like I know that's not crazy long, but I'm still totally head over heels for this guy. And I, you know, if I broke up with him, who's to say that I would fall in love with somebody else who would want to have a child with me? And like I said, I'm 36, so it's not like I have all the time in the world to have a baby. I also have two little nieces and a nephew, and I love them to bits. I love them more than I can even comprehend. And I look at the way my sister loves them and how much my boyfriend loves his son, and I kind of, even though I love these children, I know that it's not the same as if I had my own baby. So I really am just kind of at a loss for what to do here. I'm sure, you know, if I stay with my boyfriend and help to raise his son and watch him grow up, that'll be amazing. I mean, I'll be just so thrilled to have this boy in my life. But I can't quite shake this relatively new desire that I have to have a baby. And yes, I'm really annoyed that it took me until this age to for these instincts to kick in. Somebody's going to have to pay the price of admission here. And it's either going to be you, you're not going to have any kids of your own, or it's going to be him. He's going to have another kid. You have to ask yourself if you're willing to issue an ultimatum and call the question and tell him it's have a kid with me or it's over. And you don't seem like you want to do that. You say that you love him and you're head over heels and you can't imagine a life without him. All right. If he doesn't agree to pay the price of admission, if he doesn't respond affirmatively to being issued that uh, breed me or leave me ultimatum, then you're going to have to not have a kid of your own. But let's think about what that means to have a kid of your own. You're talking about, you know, the experience of being pregnant, uh, giving birth, having that genetic tie to your kid. All of those things are emotionally significant, certainly very emotionally significant, very weighty. That said, there are plenty of people out there in the world, adoptive parents, for example, who regard their kids that they didn't give birth to as their own. And a lot of adoptive parents will tell you that they begin to feel like their adopted kid is really their child after they've gone through the motions of parenting for a while. And in that process, in the parenting of that child that you don't have a genetic connection to, they become your child. You've only been dating this guy with the son for a year. I hope and assume that you weren't introduced to this child until you and your boyfriend were serious about each other. So maybe you met this kid six months ago. And if it's a shared custody situation, you're only around this kid half the time or weekends. And so 
It could be that this feeling you have right now that that child, his child, as much as you love him, isn't your child, that that feeling will come in time. And so maybe in time, you will come to feel that your boyfriend's son is your own child in every way that matters, except that genetic tie, except, you know, there's so much of personality now that we know is heritable. And to look at your own genetic offspring and see not just your looks in them, but some of your personality, some of your attitudes, some of your faults even, and also some of your most excellent qualities. That's not nothing. There is something to that. But that phrase you kept using, a child of your own, you can get there emotionally with a child that you don't have any genetic tie to. But if you absolutely want to have your own child, well, go to your boyfriend, tell him that your feelings have changed. Maybe not issue an ultimatum, but initiate a, a conversation. And the no, absolutely not he gave you a year ago when he was just getting to know you about having more kids, maybe he feels differently now and hasn't raised the subject because you were a, a hard no at the beginning of this relationship. Your feelings have changed over the last year. Maybe his feelings have changed. Maybe they've changed in a way that he's not yet consciously aware of and you might get an initial no fucking way out of him and then he's going to think about this some more and he may move on it. But the longer you stay in this relationship, the longer you give him to move on this, if he's going to move on it, if he's not there right away, the louder that biological clock ticks and the less likely you are to be able to have a child of genetically your own. This episode is brought to you by Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. For women who are looking for a way to get turned on by sexy, ethical content, Dipsy is totally the way to go. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters. No matter who you're into or what turns you on, they have stories. Stories for straight and queer folks and a diverse variety of voices. Here, listen to the description for this one. After winning the big match, Darius, Bryce, and Noel skip the team celebrations and have a private victory party in the locker room instead. The story is just eight minutes long, so can't you see yourself taking a quick break at work to get a little worked up? New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy also has a section called The Sensualist, which offers bondage tutorials, one-night stand advice, a history of the clitoris, and a ton more. It's your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, or heat things up with a partner. And for listeners of the Lovecast, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash savage. dipsystories.com slash savage. Hi, Dan, Nancy, tech-savvy, at-risk folk. Mid-40s cis guy on the East Coast with a question about revealing certain information about my kid. I have a four-year-old who was conceived less than three months after their mom and I started dating. She was on the pill, so it was a bit of a shock. But ultimately, she decided she wanted to go through with the pregnancy, regardless of whether I was willing to be involved. 
Since I'd been wanting a family for a long time, even though we were super new to each other, we lived in a major city. So it just made sense to move in together for financial reasons and just so I could support her during the pregnancy and, you know, infant stages. We've been married about six months now and bought a house, so things worked out for our relationship, not just as co-parents. Our kid was born with a bunch of medical conditions, but doctors didn't have a diagnosis. And when they were about two years old and having some significant complications that required surgery, we had some genetics testing done. When the results came back, my child sample and mine didn't match. We kind of brushed this off at the time. It didn't impact the diagnosis, and they'd ruled out like a hereditary condition. And we were just dealing with a lot of stress post-surgery and, you know, all the ongoing medical care our kid was going to need. So we just assumed it was a lab error or bad sample, which they said was a possibility. About a year later, though, we still don't have a diagnosis, so we get some more genetic testing done, and once again, our samples don't match. And it finally sinks in that I'm not this kid's biological father. So after some time to process that and mourn the loss of that connection, I honestly think it made my relationship with my kid even stronger. I just love being their dad more than anything, regardless of whose DNA they have. However, there is a bio dad out there, and my wife and I are struggling with how or when or even whether to tell him. On the one hand, it could be kind of exciting, this other person to enrich our kid's life and you know, his extended family and, you know, takes a village and all that. But on the other hand, I'm scared shitless of this guy potentially trying to assert custody or outing the news to my family. I really don't want to mess with the relationship between my parents and my kid or with my wife. They've been really supportive and accepting and are proud grandparents of our disabled kid. And I don't want to fuck with that. I feel like this is one of your need-not-to-know scenarios for parents. I guess I'm just wondering if we're ethically obligated to tell this guy about his child, and if so, when should we do it? If I put myself in his shoes, I'd want someone to tell me if I had a kid, and the earlier in their life, the better. Our kid is obviously way too young to understand this right now, and because of their conditions, they may never really intellectually be able to understand. On the legal front, I did talk to a lawyer, and it seems like we'd probably do well in court, but just the thought of dealing with that is terrifying. So yeah, Dan, love your thoughts, and maybe some other listeners out there have similar life experiences that could help us out. I hope this isn't that common an experience, but it's certainly not an unheard of experience. About 30% of men who take paternity tests wind up discovering that they're not the biological father of the child. That doesn't mean one-third of men out there aren't the biofathers of their kids. That's one-third of a certain sample of men, men who are taking a paternity test because they suspect they might not be. But there are certainly cases like yours where genetic testing is done and it comes as a surprise to the person who assumed he was the biological father and often just as much as a surprise as I assume it came to your wife, to the mother that the person who was thought of as the bio dad and the dad, dad, all that time wasn't actually the biological Father, you know all that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I'm just addressing that. If there are other listeners out there who've had this experience, you'd like to hear from them. Maybe there are. And if there are, please give us a buzz and share with us how you tiptoed your way through this minefield. And it really is a minefield. And that's what I would emphasize to you, uh, the caller, the dad, and you are certainly this kid's dad. You know, you don't say much about 
what you know of the person who turns out to be the biological parent, biological, the donor really here, is this person stable? Is this person trustworthy? Was this person, is this person someone that you feel would react to this information in a way that didn't blow up your family life, particularly if you don't want to reveal this information, uh, this truth to your grandparents, if you think it would be too much for them to handle and you want to run them on a need to know basis, maybe they don't need to know this. It's not, this news hasn't changed how you feel, but if you, based on what you know of your parents, worry that it might change how they feel and might change how they treat your kid and how available and supportive they are to you and your wife, uh, yeah, you might not want to tell them that's a judgment call that you're going to have to make. And weighing into all this, of course, is the ethical concern of what is that guy out there with a kid in the world? What does he have a right to know? And you put yourself in his shoes and you would like to know if you had a biological child in the world and you would like to have a relationship with that child. Uh, uh, it's such a difficult, stressful choice you're going to have to make. Uh, and, and it's a series of choices. It's a whole bunch of choices, just like tiptoeing through a minefield would be. You have to put your foot down as you move through that minefield way more than once. I feel like four years old and a, a disability and acute medical needs, you have enough stress in your life as parents, you and your wife, to ethically decide to kick this can down the road, to decide until to wait. If you ever do tell this guy at all to wait until your kid is a little older, until the medical situation has stabilized, maybe until your parents are fucking dead, to go tell this guy. Because you never know how someone's going to react. You know, he could sue for custody. He could want to play more of a role in your kid's life than either of you is comfortable with or can reasonably uh, accommodate. If your kid has developmental disabilities, it could be confusing to your kid in some way that hampers their progress uh, with your support as parents as they make their way in this world and you help them learn to manage their disabilities. Uh, like I said, everywhere you turn in this minefield, there's another fucking mine. And if the decision you and your wife come to together is to stand still and just be uh, a family and not decide to, to take a step in any direction right now around disclosure or whether to disclose or when to disclose, I would support you in that decision to stand still. Be interesting to hear from some listeners who may have been the biological parent in this situation who feel differently or perhaps would agree with my advice. It's summer and maybe you don't feel like cooking. Maybe it's too hot in your kitchen, but takeout food can be salty and just too much. Sakara helps you live a healthy, balanced lifestyle and truly enjoy it with delicious, plant-rich, transformational nutrition that builds a foundation for living in your best body. Sakara is a wellness company anchored in food as medicine on a mission to nourish your body through the power of plants. 
Their nutritionally designed, chef-crafted breakfasts, lunches, and dinners are made with powerful plant-rich ingredients, helping boost your energy, support your digestion, curb your sugar cravings, and get your skin glowing. Plus, it's all delivered right to your door, ready to eat. We are getting Saqqara delivered right to our door, ready to eat at our house, and we love it. Their meals are creative and delicious. Coming next week on their menu is Raita salad with cooling red lentil dal. It has tikka masala spices, golden roasted cauliflower, and a creamy coconut Raita dressing. It's so good. It's so healthy. I need this. We're looking forward to it. You need it. You can look forward to it too if you order it now. And right now, Saqqara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash savage or enter code savage at checkout. That's sakara S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash savage to get 20% off your first order. Let them know the Lovecast sent you, sakara.com slash savage. Hey Dan, I'm a male, mostly submissive, and I'm into just about every kink out there. I'm thinking about paying for a membership to meetbdsm.com, but I am unsure. The last woman that I met on a fetish website, I ended up sending all my money to, and she keeps wanting more. When I refuse to pay her my own money, she sends me checks that I've yet to ever clear, and she wants me to buy her Bitcoin. She says it's for our life together. I have never even talked to this woman on the phone. I have ended things with her a few times, but she keeps messaging me and I keep messaging back. I'll block her number, but she will message me from a different number. At this point, I am fed up and I want a relationship not centered around money. And I want more than just texting, which is the only interaction we have ever had. I am sensitive, creative, and caring, and I'm looking for a lifetime partnership centered around love and kink with a beautiful woman but I fear that they all just want my money. I have already created a long, detailed profile with my kinks, fantasies, my best attributes, and social media links, but I am unsure if I should pay for the membership. I'm not endorsing meetbdsm.com. I have no read on whether that's a legit way for kinky people to meet, a legit dating app or website uh, where kinky people could meet. What I do know is that it would be money better spent, you know, paying for a membership at meetbdsm.com or some other, you know, kink friendly dating app. That would be money better spent than the money you're spending now on this person who may or may not be a woman who exists, but is never going to be the woman of your dreams. They have no intention of ever meeting you face-to-face or talking with you on the phone or having any sort of relationship with you. Now, there are certainly, heard a lot about fin doms and fin subs over the last decade. There are certainly people out there who would regard this kind of relationship you have with this person where it's all texts and demands for money as arousing, as really all they wanted, maybe at all in a relationship or maybe as a sort of little sexy sideline to their committed stable vanilla relationship, getting that little like sub itch scratched by some stranger on the internet with your digits. That ain't you. You want more and you're never going to get it from this woman. You might get it. I don't know. Anybody out there listening ever taken an ad out and had a success at BDSM.com? You might get it there or at the problematic site FetLife or at Field. There are a lot of options out there. For folks, including kinky folks going on regular 
dating apps, um, OkCupid and Plenty of Fish and the other ones and being a little open, being open, being open about being kinky, you know, kinky people meet in vanilla venues, IRL, in real life, bars, workplaces, through friends all the time and on presumably default vanilla dating apps too. Cast a wide net. Move on all fronts. Get out of the house. If you're really interested in kink, go to munches. Get involved in your local BDSM or kink scene. And please, it'll help if what you want is a long-term connection with another human being. If you have realistic expectations and a very broad definition of beauty, that is not just about physical beauty or conventional standards of beauty, but about inner beauty and about a connection and a rapport with someone. And you can build that over time, which is just a long way of me saying, dude, if you're not an Adonis, it's not a realistic expectation that you will get Venus or an Aphrodite. Doesn't mean you won't or can't. Some unconventionally attractive people wind up with very conventionally attractive partners. You could be one of them. But if what you want is a partner, having realistic expectations is a really good idea and makes it much likelier that you'll find one. Hi, Dan. 37-year-old woman here from England. I have uh, recently been diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, The outlook is good for me, but I do have a sex question. So... I wear something called a pick line, which is basically a tube going through my arm up to my, through a vein towards my heart. Uh, This is a way that uh, they can get drugs more easily into me without having to inject me every time, which is great, but I can't uh, put too much weight on that arm and need to be a bit careful with it, obviously. And sometimes I like to be tied up during sex. And sometimes when I'm tied up, it cuts off a bit of circulation to my hands. And I'm just wondering... Is that safe? I'm been avoiding it for the time being, but it's something I enjoy very much. So obviously I want to take my pleasures where I can at the moment. Any advice would be great. Thank you. I want to emphasize again that I am not a doctor, but common sense would indicate that so long as you have this pick line in your arm that runs into your heart, you're going to want to err on the side of extreme caution and not putting pressure on that arm. That said, there are different kinds of bondage. There are different ways to enjoy bondage. If you're feeling up for sex as you go through chemo for your breast cancer and and get treated, don't deny yourself that pleasure. And if bondage is a big part of the pleasure for you, then let's figure out a way that you can have maybe a different kind of bondage, not rope bondage, not you're using, you know, tight restraints, whatever it was that would sometimes make your hand or your arm go numb, you're going to want to avoid that kind of bondage. You know, when it comes to bondage, it often feels like people will regard the stuff that's a little bit more dangerous, but that is a little like lower cost of entry as less extreme than the more extreme kinds of bondage that can often be more comfortable uh, and safer. You know, people will use clothesline or people will use cheap-ass handcuffs and cheap-ass handcuffs can twist and really damage the bones in your wrists or really hurt or bruise. Um, and clothesline can cut and cut off circulation. And some 
good high quality bondage gear that spreads out the pressure while it looks more extreme and looks kinkier and crazier and makes you more of a sex pervert to order it or own it or use it, that's a lot safer than those off the shelf things that people regard as somehow less kinky, less dangerous, less extreme, and therefore people view as safer when it is not. So depending on whether you can afford this right now, getting uh, a neoprene sleep sack, uh, which is a kind of expensive bondage toy, uh, or a comfortable, not leather, not a lot of straps, not tight, neoprene or rubber straight jacket, a simple one without straps. Maybe there's a kind of bondage that you could do right now where your arms would have no pressure on them and you would still be completely and thoroughly restrained. And you could explore that now and then incorporate you know, that kind of bondage, more extreme bondage, uh, you know, more gear into your sex life going forward. Once you're out of treatment, it's not like you buy an expensive neoprene straight jacket that's very comfortable because you are right now uh, in treatment for breast cancer and then throw that away after you're no longer in treatment, you can keep that uh, and make that a part of your regular repertoire and routine with your partner. You can also explore command bondage, which is literally no gear, but if you're told not to move, you don't get to move. And that's really a kind of brain and will bondage. But if you believe, if you throw yourself into it, it can be experienced as real bondage and a placeholder kind of bondage for you right now that would be safe. My heart goes out for you right now, you know, during chemo, if you are feeling aroused or horny at all, don't deny yourself any pleasure. Take these pleasures as they come to you, but you can find a way to make them a little safer. And if you've been using handcuffs or rope or twine up to now and you can afford it, invest in some higher quality gear. It'll be more comfortable and it'll be safer. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's read some listener tweets. Big Apple Mave tweets, people with vasectomies are fire emoji. Let's normalize contraception as everyone's responsibility, not just the vagina havers. They're hot, as we once said, people with vasectomies and lots of other people. Now someone is fire, fire emoji, because fire is hot and also because fire, as both a concept and a reality is, more easily represented with a pictorial symbol than the more abstract and less easily emojied or emojied concept of hot. Liptar Queen tweets, fake Dan Savage help. I am an avid listener to the Savage Lovecast, but I didn't take notes. My boyfriend and I are looking for a book on female pleasure. Any recs? Yeah, a few recs. Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. She Comes First by Ian Kenner, Because It Feels Good by Debbie Herbenick, and Getting a Membership at OMG Yes. Com. And finally, Amanda Pandemonium tweets, it is so disappointing when you're enjoying an American film slash TV show and then it's ruined because one of the characters says twat but pronounces it twat. Now, Amanda didn't tweet me. I got tagged into her tweet by Lovecast listener Benjamin Hendy who tweeted, see also at Fake Dan Savage. So it would appear perhaps that I've been pronouncing twat wrong. Yeah, no, I'm going to say no to that. The American pronunciation of T-W-A-T is twat. Brits say twat. And since there are more of us than there are of you, Brits, there are more people out there saying twat. And you twats 
are just going to have to get used to it. All right. If you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to include the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And a big thank you to everyone who posted your social media accounts about the Lovecast over the last week. We really appreciate the way you help get the word out about the Savage Lovecast. And now, listener response calls. Hi, Dan. I'm just calling with a quick comment regarding the caller on 821 who says that he's high-level, functioning, autistic individual who is not understanding why his partner doesn't want to engage in uh, sexual intimacy with him. And one thing that came to my mind was that perhaps he is missing clues that she thinks are not so subtle. Or perhaps there's things going on in her life that maybe he knows about but doesn't realize could be affecting her sex drive. Like if she's got a particularly stressful job, she's 32, he's 22, he doesn't talk about the money dynamics of the relationship, but maybe she is the more moneyed spouse or, well, fiancé, and perhaps she's just got some stress. You know, the pandemic is still causing people a lot of stress right now. And I think the issue may be maybe he's not picking up on those clues. Maybe there's something else underpinning it. Maybe she doesn't want to tell him, or maybe there is some trauma behind it. But it could also be that. And I think the biggest thing is that he needs to just say to her, I've told you this before, I need very strong communication. And he needs to go to her and say, this is bothering me, and I don't know if you've tried telling me or tried to subtly hint it to me, but whatever it is, I'm not getting, and it's very frustrating to me. So that may be number one. The other thing is is I would be very cautious as somebody who may have some differences uh, developmentally or in in how he perceives other people's emotions to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't understand that. If she's not able to communicate with him the way that he needs, then that's not a great primary partner for her. And I would think after three years together, she would know better about how to communicate with him and his need to communicate. Hello, this is a comment for the woman in episode 821 who was having issues expressing her desire to to kind of dominate or goddess worship or have her boyfriend fling guy goddess worship her. Um, and he was experiencing ED. Uh, one of the ways to go about it is to make it fully about him pleasing you and having 0% of the attention be on him. So like, you know, tie up his hands, ride his face, whatever you need to do. And then to get yourself off and then see if that lack of focus on him is what actually gets him hard, especially if he's worried about leaving town and he's developing feelings. And since he seems down to explore this with you, that wouldn't be something that would necessarily turn him off. I would say that there's probably something going on mentally that's blocking him from doing that. So instead, if you just try and enjoy yourself with his permission, of course, and see if that lack of focus on him or his performance is what actually gets him going. And then you can do the whole denial thing, make him want it a little bit more but don't focus as much on his anatomy and focus more on him pleasing you and worshiping you. Hi, Dan. This is a response to episode 821 with the bi woman with the bigoted family. I think you did a good job on guiding her to allow her family some time to come to grips with her being bi. My issue isn't with anything you said there, but as someone growing up black, pansexual, and in the South, and sometimes having serious white partners, 
Do not take that black woman to that bigoted household. Anyone who in 2022 is still harping on about straight pride and white pride needs to do a lot of work before being put in front of a queer black woman just minding her business. I understand the whole we won't change minds without talking to the other side take, but that's work the caller really needs to do with their family first. Please, as someone who's been to dinner with a family who quote unquote used to be racist, spare her. Black women are tired and deal with enough as it is without being dragged into a den of racism and queer phobia when they're supposed to be on vacation. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? You twats can use the voice memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. And you twats can also call us at 206-302-2064. Hump 2022 is coming to Ann Arbor, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Minneapolis, Kansas City, Atlanta, Victoria, and Los Angeles in September and October. Go to humpfilmfest.com to get your tickets now. We'll also be announcing more opportunities to stream this year's festival online for folks who don't live in Hump Towns or folks who would prefer to watch Hump at home. And submissions are open for Hump 2023. Go to humpfilmfest.com and click on submit for all the info you need. August 13th is National Prosecco Day. Drinking Prosecco out of skinny little champagne flutes on National Prosecco Day is out. Drinking Prosecco and lots of it out of your fuck first or GGG mug, that's in. You're going to want two, one for you, and one for the person you trust enough to have anal sex with on a white leather couch with a white fake fur throw on it sitting on a white shag carpet. Get your fuck first and GGG mugs now at savage.love slash shop. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Dr. Jen Gunter on Twitter at Dr. Jen Gunter. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. We'll all be back at you next week during installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.